Welcome to the How to Event Podcast, the premier resource for everyday people who want to plan the event of a lifetime. My name is Allie Denniston. Thank you for joining the party. Hello and welcome back, podcasters. I hope you've eaten recently because if you haven't, you're going to be starving by the time we wrap up today's episode. This week, we're focusing on the basics of menu design, and I'll be highlighting a few tips and tricks to keep in mind as you build your menu. First and foremost, I will empower those of you who are planning weddings or personal celebrations like a birthday or anniversary. If you're planning an event that is for yourself, then you have every right to offer a menu that features your favorite items. When the event is all about you, you reserve that right. This being said, if you're planning a group celebration, corporate, or other event where there are a wide variety of guests in attendance, you'll need to do a bit more research and likely will need to cater your menu offerings to your guests or attendees. The first category we will discuss is food type versus meal period. You can probably already list out the meal periods you might be menu planning for, such as breakfast, lunch, dinner, cocktails, snack breaks, or late night goodies. The meal period will help you determine the most appropriate direction to go with your actual menu planning. The type of food can range greatly. It may be themed to your event like casual versus fine dining, or it might be based on your location such as a lobster boil for a beach event or a barbecue menu for a farm or barn event. You may have a group where a majority of your attendees are from a specific region or of a particular ethnicity and you'd like to offer a menu that reflects or complements that, like Greek, Italian, or Chinese. You may focus on your physical location as well by highlighting local ingredients for a more farm-to-table style menu. Once you have honed in on the meal period and the food type that you're interested in offering for your event, the next step is to consider the style of service or how the menu will be served to your guests or attendees. There are a few major styles of service, including plated, buffet, stations, family style, and past. Let's take a look at each of these styles in a bit more depth. A plated meal can work for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. This style of service does tend to create a more formal feel to an event and often limits the variety of options that can be offered to a degree, but this does depend on your particular venue or caterer. A plated meal also requires a certain length of time to execute properly, so that's an important factor to keep in mind in relation to the overall logistics of your event. Buffet-style service tends to be a more casual option, although some buffets can certainly be quite fancy. It is all about the presentation and the display. Some venues or caterers offer a chef-attended buffet where a staff member will serve you each item off the buffet rather than it being self-service. A buffet also allows for more variety in the menu, as there are usually more selections offered in this style of service. One other factor to keep in mind is that buffets require additional space for the setup of the display, as well as the traffic for guests to access it. Be aware of this as you consider your venue layout. Similar to a buffet, stations allow guests to visit a food display and self-serve various menu offerings. 
The major difference is that a food station usually incorporates more interactive elements, like a chef attendant preparing food live at the display. You can also offer several stations that are scattered throughout an event space to break up lines and keep it from feeling like one continuous buffet line. Stations can also be themed in the style of food or for a convenience factor, like offering only seafood on one and only vegetarian or vegan items on another. That way, guests with dietary restrictions do not need to visit certain stations, which helps keep the flow of traffic smooth. Family-style service is a sort of plated buffet hybrid. It can add a level of elegance if offered French-style, which means the service staff are physically serving the food items to each guest. Or it can create a more homey, casual feel when platters are handed to guests to pass around the tables on their own. Keep in mind your table setup if you're opting for family-style service. You do not want to have a cluttered table with maximum seated capacity in addition to platters on the set tables. Be aware of this as you plan your tablescape and your table assignments to ensure you don't overload your tables. Last but not least is past service. This is mostly offered during cocktail receptions or late night parties where the main goal for guests or attendees is mingling or dancing or partying. You can keep it simple with traditional past hors d'oeuvres or get fancy with mini past plates that are like mini composed meals in creative vessels. A reception with past service can convey either a casual or sophisticated atmosphere depending on the menu offerings. For example, beef wellington and tuna tartare might be offered at a black tie event, while pigs in a blanket and mini grilled cheeses might be for a less formal affair. Now that we've briefly reviewed the various styles of service, I'd like to go into a bit more detail regarding plated menus, as they're one of the more popular dining options, especially for dinner-focused events. While it can depend on your venue or caterer, don't be surprised when you're asked to provide a breakdown of the number of each entree that you need for your group. If you're offering more than one entree for a plated dinner, Typically, whoever is responsible for the food service will need to know the exact count of chicken or beef or whatever you're serving ahead of time. This is to ensure that they can properly order and prep the correct amount of food. Some venues have the capacity to offer a la minute service, where they take the order at the table and can push it out in a timely manner for large groups. But these venues are few and far between and must have a significant staffing and an industrial-sized kitchen to accomplish it well. Think about the goals of your event when you choose your menu. Do you want to get to dancing and party time like many couples do for their weddings? If so, you probably shouldn't opt for a 4-plus course plated menu as that will take a decent amount of time to execute. I usually recommend that a wedding menu offers an appetizer and an entree with a dessert offered on a station rather than served to the tables as it encourages guests to get out of their seats and onto the dance floor or at least interacting with each other as opposed to feeling chained to their dinner tables waiting for the next course to be served to them. Or you just run the risk of a dessert being served to an empty dining table and guests missing it because they're up and about enjoying the party. For an event with a speaking program, more courses may be appropriate in order to keep your guests fed throughout the program, be it keynote speakers, awards presentations, or a silent auction. In this case, the focus is the dinner program, so having a menu with additional courses may be more suitable. 
When considering plated dining, it's important to ask if the venue or caterer will offer a food tasting. Not all venues or caterers will offer this option, and it isn't always complimentary, but it is worth doing if it's offered. A tasting will help set an expectation for the quality and style of the food and can also provide a visual of what the presentation of the plate will look like when it's served to your guests. It can also offer you the opportunity to nix menu items that you don't like or want, as well as make minor tweaks to presentation, seasoning, or temperature to better fit your preference or the preferences of your guests. Speaking of guest preferences, once you settle on a style of service for your event, you'll want to start crafting your menu. And as you do so, it's important to factor in possible or confirmed dietary restrictions or allergies of your guests. There will likely be at least one, but probably several, attendees who have some kind of dietary restriction or allergy that must be attended to. You won't always be able to tell which restrictions are trending and which are true. But if someone expresses a dietary need, as the event host, you should do your best to accommodate them. Dietary restrictions or allergies may include actual allergies to things like nuts or shellfish, or dietary restrictions such as gluten, soy, or dairy-free, or vegetarians, vegans, or pescatarians. It's smart to have alternative options for the guests who may have dietary restrictions, and ideally the alternative or alternatives that you select to serve cover all of the bases. This is important because it allows you to offer a single dietary alternative per course that is suitable for someone with a nut allergy as well as a vegetarian or someone with a gluten intolerance. This prevents you from having to have multiple alternatives for each dietary restriction that your guests might have, which expedites your dinner service and eliminates any extensive wait times for service for those guests. Another element that should be factored into your menu planning is the timing of event logistics. This may incorporate formalities during a wedding, a speaking program during a corporate event, or a silent auction at a fundraising event. Identify the items that need to be integrated into the timeline along with food service to help you make educated decisions about your dining plans. When I work with wedding couples, I always suggest scheduling toasts or speeches in between courses. This way, there's always something going on, there aren't any awkward pauses, and if it's timed correctly, it will ensure that speaking isn't taking place while staff are on the floor and prevents an extra-long formality program during times when you want to get to the partying. Last but not least, one of the most important elements of your menu, aside from the food itself, are the factors relating to budget. Be aware of food and beverage minimum requirements that you might need to reach or the service charges or sales tax that will be applied to your final bill total. Ensure you ask about any labor or staffing charges that may apply along with the cost of your menu. Sometimes certain styles of service require additional fees like extra chef attendants or bartenders. On the note of bartenders, I know that bar and bar services are technically part of menu planning, but I think that the beverage topic can actually provide enough content for an entire episode, so stay tuned for that in the near future. After you've considered all of these factors, you need to actually choose your menu. Your caterer or venue may provide you with a menu that contains several options for you to choose from. 
Sometimes those menus are more of a guideline than a set offering. So ask about this and whether customization is possible and if there are any additional fees that come along with that option. While you certainly want to cater to the tastes of your guests, you probably also want to incorporate delicious things that you love. Don't be afraid to weave in some of your favorite foods in unique ways. A great caterer will be able to work with you to create an elegant menu that captures your preferred palate and style of food. As some parting advice, I'll highlight a few tips and tricks to keep top of mind as you begin your menu planning journey. First, know your guest profile and preferences. If you have a group that keeps kosher, make sure your menu is catering to that. Or if all of your guests are vegetarians, perhaps don't do burger night. Next, offer choices when possible with alternative options. The more variety you can offer, the better. Your ability to accomplish this may depend on your budget and on what your venue or caterer can accommodate, but always ask the question, and the more choices you can offer your guests, the more likely your menu will be deemed a success. Next, highlight seasonality by planning appropriate dishes for the season or location. This can make a simple dish feel special because it has local elements integrated into it. And last, choose options that work with the style of service that you're offering. You may love a specific dish, but it just doesn't make sense to execute on a larger scale. Know when to cut something that just isn't going to achieve what you need it to. For example, perhaps beef barley soup in the middle of August is not the best option. There are so many factors to consider as you plan your menu, so hopefully this big picture look at the puzzle pieces of food planning will help you to hone in on a menu that best serves your guests. Do you have questions about today's topic? Join me in the How to Event podcast group on Facebook where you can ask your questions, start a discussion, and have the chance for your topic to be featured on a future episode. Don't forget to visit howtoeventpodcast.com for the newest episodes and show notes from How to Event. And we're on Instagram. Follow at howtoevent for event visuals and daily tips and tricks for planning. I can't wait to welcome you back next week for Season 2, Episode 7 of the How to Event Podcast, where I'll be discussing timeline creation and how to plan out the day of your event. Happy planning! Happy planning!